The last time I took my children out of school in term time was for the funeral of one of their favourite Sunday school teachers. As well as being an emotional event, it was also an instructive moment for them, helping to see adults grieving someone that they also loved. The school was completely supportive about us actually giving the children a small dose of trauma, as it were, and the whole experience was a positive one, despite the tears. Fast forward to this week and another set of parents taking their children out of school. This time, Nigel and Sally Rowe are removing their children from a Church of England school on the Isle of Wight because another boy is being allowed to dress in skirts and be referred to by a female pronoun. Cue multiple media appearances, the language of bigotry and transphobia, and, in the background, the Christian Legal Centre stirring up a narrative of prejudice against Christians. My social media feed has been full of comment from those supporting and opposing the actions of the parents and school respectively. In the midst of this acrimony and dispute are two families. The boys withdrawn from their educative community because of the concerns of their parents, but also the family of the young lad who has been allowed to live out, for the moment, his gender non-conformity. I wonder whether this whole issue is far more complex than liberal media soundbites and persecution narratives can ever portray. What exactly did the school say and do to cause such a dramatic and public response from the Rose? What is an appropriate parental action in these circumstances? What are the range of views that conservative Christians can hold on the issue of gender dysphoria? Let's start with the first of those. I'm at a loss, no, I really am, as to why the Rose are withdrawing their children from class just because a boy chooses to wear a skirt. Have they never been to Scotland? It would be one thing if they were bringing accusations of their children being bullied or being forced to think a certain way and being punished for daring to express an alternative opinion, but this doesn't seem to be the case. Instead, their son came home confused about why their classmate was gender non-conforming. Is it really appropriate to remove their son from school to protect him somehow from this confusion? Or is it rather an opportunity to educate our children as to how to interact with a pagan world? If it had been my son coming home in the same situation, I'd have sat him down and said to him the following. Look, son, there are lots of different people in the world and they will often feel different things to you and believe different things. There are some people, including boys and girls, who feel that they are actually different to what they look like. So some boys think they are girls and some girls think they are boys. Sometimes that goes on for quite a while. Sometimes it comes and goes. Sometimes it vanishes very quickly. But whatever happens, it doesn't mean that they are worse than you. When Jesus met people who didn't live like God intended them to, he didn't run away from them and ignore them, but actually he went out of his way to be their friend, to be with them and to show them who he was. So if we want to follow Jesus' son, we should try and be the same as him. This little boy probably feels a bit scared wearing a skirt, but at the moment it's what he wants to do. It's not really harming anyone and he could probably do with a friend. So be nice to him. If you see other people being horrible to him, tell a teacher so they can sort it out. Remember, most of all, he's allowed to wear a skirt if he wants to. You're allowed to think it's silly if you do think it's silly. And neither of you should be punished for thinking what you think and being who you are. Surely a response like that is better than one which makes this gender dysphoric boy, his parents, 
his parents, friends and all the watching wider population think that Christians are a bunch of prudes who go ick the moment they see something they don't like and try to get as much space between it and them. Yes, it's true that the world hates us because of Jesus, but we don't have to go out of our way to give them extra reasons to think we're not the nicest people in the country. So on the first count, I think the rows are wrong in their response. And in being wrong, they undermine any further Christian witness in this area. And I think there's plenty that Christians can say to inform public debate around issues of gender dysphoria, particularly amongst children. We are very well placed to offer reasoned, scientifically informed critique because we are pastorally embedded up and down the country in schools, in hospitals, in the provision of social services of one kind or another. Gender dysphoria is a complicated thing and too often we are held hostage to the extreme positions. On the liberal side is the view that almost all forms of diversity are intrinsically good, that the transgender experience cannot be denied and must be affirmed and that ultimately gender is a social construct. The problem of course with this perspective is that theologically there is no sense of the fall, so therefore an inadequate doctrine of creation which tends to lead to or even stem from an, ina an inadequate doctrine of the creator. That there is a denial of the simple scientific truths in the liberal perspective that most childhood gender nonconformity actually resolves itself by puberty. The DSM-5 has this natural resolution rate of somewhere between 75 and 90 percent and that therefore labelling a child as trans at an early age is actually very likely to be incorrect and and finally the problem with the liberal perspective is that fundamentally while sex reassignment surgery may help resolve some of a patient's dysphoria Ultimately, such a patient is restricted to a lifetime of permanent medical and pharmaceutical intervention and no possibility of fulfilling the fundamental procreative functions of the lived-in gender. On the other hand, of course, the conservative biological integrity position, simply put, you can tell who someone is by looking at their genitals, fails to engage properly with all kinds of chromosomal aberrations. So, for example, I haven't met a single biological integrist who objects to the model Hannah Odioli, who has androgen insensitivity syndrome, identifying as and living out as a woman, despite the fact that sex chromosomes are clearly male, they are XY. The biological integrity position also tends to demonstrate a pastoral insensitivity to those who experience gender dysphoria and too often there is a rush to reject any scientific evidence that might lead us towards a genetic or epigenetic source of gender dysphoria. Though to be fair, the liberal side has this problem too when facing the evidence of a psychological component to the gender dysphoric experience. We've talked before on this podcast about Mark Yarhouse's third path to understanding gender dysphoria, which he describes as the disability framework. In this understanding, gender dysphoria is seen as a result of the fall, but it deserves respect and compassion, and those who live into their gender dysphoria are not choosing to willfully reject their biological and chromosomal sex. Indeed, many of the men and women with gender dysphoria who I have spoken to, and indeed pastored, have wrestled deeply with wanting to live with biological integrity. They simply cannot. I cannot recommend Mark Yarhouse's book, Understanding Gender Dysphoria, enough. And there's a link to it in the notes for the podcast. If you want probably the single best Christian book on this subject, you want this book. Anyway, back to our main concern. 
Perhaps there is a place for Christians to challenge postmodern gender theories, but that challenge needs to be winsome and graceful. If we just withdraw ourselves from living alongside anyone who we dislike, what does that say about a gospel of inclusion and welcome and transformation? You can be included, but only if you first transform yourself. Even if those with gender dysphoria are the worst of sinners in their rejection of the natural created order, and for the record, I'm really not sure that they are, even if they are, the model from Jesus in the woman caught in adultery is that he's prepared to be the one, sometimes the only one, who takes the side of the sinner, though always with a transformative call. We earn our right to challenge society by being part of it, not by withdrawing from it and lobbing court cases at any part of it we don't like or are offended by. It is possible to be in the world but not of it without having to constantly point out and criticise every bit of the of it we aren't happy with. I want my children to grow up with challenges and discomfort. I want them to grieve and to hurt, to be confronted by people who are different and learn how to respond to them and live alongside them. Whether it's calamitous funerals or cross-dressing friends, if my children are disciples of Jesus, I want them living out that discipleship and being lights in the world amidst their contemporaries. The best way they can witness to Jesus is to be like him, befriending the outcasts, loving those in pain, and heaven knows those who have gender dysphoria experience emotional and relational pain like most of us have no idea of, and witnessing to the only one in all creation whose sexual identity, along with every other kind of personal identity, was perfect. The alternative is a Christian culture where we are seen not as the reconcilers but the haters, not as the healers but the source of conflict. It's almost as if we set out to be foreigners and in doing so we alienate those who might even more than us feel strangers in a strange land. Is it too much to ask us to drop our persecution complexes and to try and love a little bit more? Yes, Telling people the truth is loving them, but you only earn the right to do that if first you can demonstrate with your actions that same love. And if that demonstration of love involves a little sacrifice, a little suffering, a little lowering of our own rights and privileges, don't we have the perfect model in Christ for that? You want to show someone the truth? Try dying to yourself. I'm Peter Old, and this is Radio Free Canterbury. (laughs) 